0: Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been around Wildwood the last week, you know that we have been in this for the nations week. Um, We began it last Saturday night, and Today, we're going to be wrapping up our For the Nations Week. That's the way a week works, just from last week to this week. Last week, we had the opportunity to hear from Dr. Ahmad Shahada, the president and founder of Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. And today, we have the great privilege of being guided into God's Word by our very own Dr. Kevin Bradford, who is our director of global outreach. So join me in welcoming up Dr. Bradford to guide us into God's Word today. I'm not used to hearing Dr. Bradford around here. Uh, if you want to talk to me, just call me Kevin. Um, you know, there's an interesting spiritual phenomenon that happens uh, every Saturday, particularly in the fall, and every Friday night, and every Sunday also. Uh, precisely one half of the prayers that are lifted up are answered, are answered with a yes, and the other half with a No. And I know that you're probably thinking already, it's the players and the fans that are praying that our team would win, right? Um, Well, if you've even been a Christian just a short while, you know that it's okay to pray that the Lord would be on our side, but it's even better to make sure that we are on the Lord's side, right? You got that? So I'd like to talk about that this morning, making sure that we are on the Lord's side when we pray, One of the best ways we can do that is making sure that we are praying according to the things that the Lord wants, according to His will. And I I have to confess uh, here at the get-go that uh, I'm a a little bit of a loss to explain how prayer works. Uh, I've been a Christian for a number of years, but um, it's still a mystery to me how you can have a sovereign God who invites us to express our desires or our Petitions in such a way that we can actually apparently have some sort of influence over the course of events. And yet, I just know that he commands us to pray and to pray without ceasing. I also look in the New Testament and I see that Jesus prayed as an example uh, for his disciples and he also taught them to pray. And besides all that, uh, now we have 2,000 years of history uh, where we can look back at answered prayers in our own lives and then in the lives of many people around us, probably tens of millions of prayers, if not more. So we have different reasons that we should be praying. Well, second confession that I have to make um, here at the start is that I'm not as good at praying as what I would like. I don't know if you sense that as well uh, yourself, but, um, and I'm not talking about technique here. In fact, I'm pretty sure that the Lord could care less about your technique. He's not as concerned about how you pray as He is what you pray for. And prayer actually serves several different purposes. Uh, We pray and we enjoy fellowship with the Lord. We praise His name. We give thanks to the Lord. We confess our sins. Uh, But as everyone knows, as we pray, we can also express our desires and our petitions before the Lord. And when it comes to expressing those desires or petitions, we should seek to pray according to the things that the Lord wants. Jesus has given us a a great promise in John chapter 14. He says, if you pray for anything in my name, this I will do. That's that's a carte blanche, right? It sounds like just anything. But the key is that phrase, in Jesus' name. And... uh, we, we work with that, we try to make sense of that. Uh, sometimes we treat it in a mechanical sense that uh, if we just throw that in there at the end of a prayer, uh, it's kind of a uh, catch all that you know, whatever else has been said that Jesus is obliged to answer it now because it's in his name. Or maybe it's like a rule of grammar, I don't know. Uh, you know at the end of a sentence, you're supposed to put a period. At the end of a prayer, you've got to put this so that people know, you know that's it. Uh, well, in Jesus' name is important, obviously. But I think that the sense is that we are praying, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying for something that he himself would pray for if he were in our situation. So he's actually seeking something which is in accordance with the will of the Lord. And if we're praying in Jesus' name, we're seeking for something which glorifies God the Father and Jesus and not just something that we would want for our own pleasure. God many times gives us much beyond what we are asking for, and we can give thanks for that. but we should be seeking above all things, as in all of life, uh, to please the God and to, to please God and to glorify Him. So as we look at this idea of prayer this morning and we think about how to be effective in prayer or how to be, have more of our prayers answered with a yes, I think one of the best uh, Keys to doing this is to pray according to the things which are revealed in Scripture. If you think about it, if it's a prayer that's revealed in Scripture, you know that that is something that Jesus would pray for, something which would exalt His name as well. And that's what I'd like to do this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to the book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to look at just two verses this morning uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The books of First and Second Thessalonians are, are fascinating. I love each of these uh, short letters of the Apostle Paul. Um, I, I, you know, we've been talking about Islam this week, and I, I kind of get the impression that if the Apostle Paul were to write letters to the the Christians that lived in the context of Islam, that he would write letters very similar to First and Second Thessalonians, uh, churches that he had planted just a short time before uh, in the midst of a very hostile environment. You know, just a few months before uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy had invaded the continent of Europe, which at the time was a non-Christian continent, and had brought the gospel uh, in a very pioneer sense. people there that had previously probably never heard the name of Jesus before. So that's the the context that we find so many people in the Islamic world today. And kind of as you might expect, as Paul and his his teammates were working, uh, they encountered a great deal of opposition. Uh, They were working in a hostile environment for sure. So there were arguments that broke out all the time, um, riots occasionally, there, were, uh, there was a time that Paul and his, his team were put into jail. Paul himself was stoned and left for dead. And in place after place, they were driven out of, out of town. Unfortunately, unfortunately, this is true for many people that are working in the Islamic world today, both missionaries and, and national believers. So I think Paul would have written something similar uh, to first of all, encourage the believers in this context to stand firm, to hold up under the different pressures. But the amazing thing is that Paul doesn't just ask for them to stand firm. He wants them to go forth. He doesn't want them to just play defense. He wants them to go on offense. He's not looking for just a a scoreless tie. He wants them to go forward and to win for the Lord. So when we talk this morning about winning prayers, we're thinking about a ministry That wins, that goes forth. I do believe that, you know, even apart from uh, the context here that, that Paul is addressing, that God does place things on occasion on our hearts which are so unlikely, so improbable, that we have still another motivation to pray. Because unless the Lord shows up, it's just not gonna happen. The Lord can give us a conviction that there's something that he would like to accomplish either in our life or through us. And unless we pray, it's just not gonna happen. So in ministry and in missions particularly, uh, people that are looking to bring life to those who are spiritually dead, uh, to bring freedom to those who are captive to sin, we need to pray. We need to expect that the Lord would show up. So that's what we see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter three. Let me, let me read with you verses one and two. Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. We'll unpack this verse in greater detail, but if I had to summarize it here, uh, Paul is basically asking that believers pray for two things. First, for the success of the gospel message, and secondly, for the security of the gospel messenger. So Paul wants us to pray for the success, for the spread of the gospel message, and for the security or the safety of those who proclaim the gospel. Let's look at these verses in a little bit greater detail here. In verse 1, Paul says, finally, brethren, pray. And that verb pray is actually uh, an imperative. It's a commandment. It wasn't just an option, but Paul wanted the believers to pray in the sense is to keep on praying, to pray continuously, to pray without giving up, to pray that the word of the Lord will, be, will spread rapidly. The Global Outreach Team here at Wildwood recently conducted a survey of some people and uh, we found that almost universally, people acknowledged the importance of praying for the church's outreach. But we also found that only two thirds of the people surveyed had the practice of actually praying for the outreach. So whether or not it's your practice right now or not, we do have this commandment to pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. When Paul talks about the word of the Lord, um, the first thought that came to my mind was that, well, he means the Bible, the, the whole Bible message. But actually, when you trace back and see how Paul uses it in other contexts, he's really referring to the gospel itself. The gospel, which is the good news about Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on our behalf, that we can have eternal life. So that is what Paul is focused on here. It's the foundation. It's not all that a Christian needs to know, but it is the foundation. Pray that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. Now, this is a this is a fun term uh, that Paul is referring to here. The idea of spreading rapidly or, or uh, speeding ahead, I think it says in one version, it actually has this meaning of that the gospel, the word of the Lord would race, would run ahead. And I, I just love that, that concrete imagery. So it's not a matter of that it would just go out, you know, kind of in a nebulous way or a little bit here or there, but that it would race ahead. I think for the Thessalonians, they probably would, would think of the Panhellenic games which were held in that region. And the key event, the the primary event of those games was the Stadion, from which we have the word stadium, actually. So the Stadion was a 200-yard sprint, and it was the the primary event. So you can just imagine the athletes that were straining, that were striving, that were seeking to win the prize, and Paul is talking about the gospel in this same way, sprinting ahead to win the prize. Well, you may think, well, in a, in a race, you've got other opponents, right? Other people that are competing for that same prize. Who or what is competing with the gospel uh, in this situation? Well, there's probably a number of things that we could think of. We could uh, think of perhaps just the normal growth of Christianity or of the world population relative to Christianity. So if it's 2.2% or whatever it is, the gospel needs to grow at least at that pace, if not more, in order for the church to grow. So here in lane one, you've got uh, the world population. In lane two, perhaps a a non-Christian belief, an ideology uh, that is against what the Bible presents. Uh, There were many in Paul's day, and Paul could have been praying that the gospel would go forth more quickly than any of these false religions. If we're thinking our terms, uh, one of the primary ideologies is the idea of secularism, right? That's the context in which we live. And secularism with the belief that either there is no God or there's no God that's very effective, he's not very involved in our world uh, is competing and there's, uh, worldwide there's probably a billion people that follow that ideology. So the gospel needs to compete against the growth of secularism in order to advance. But another one of the the great ideologies or or belief systems is that of Islam. And there's probably even more people in the planet that that call themselves Muslims. Uh, Some statistics show 1.9 billion people in our planet that claim Muslim or Islam as their faith. So the gospel needs to go forth even more quickly than Islam. Islam is growing through natural means and some others, but we can hope that the gospel would grow even faster. And it might've been that that Paul had in mind this idea of the gospel going out um, in a very personal way, maybe at an individualized level, that each person before they pass away needs to hear the gospel. And we need to be urgent with the task of preaching the gospel so that it will reach other people while there's still time. Well, it might have been any of those, and it could have been something else that Paul had in mind more specifically. But I tend to think that there was actually this qualitative sense that Paul had in mind as well. I, I don't know if you've ever witnessed a race, a um, race, or a competition of one sort that it's just clear that there is a dominant athlete or a dominant team. We uh, Sometimes we'll see that in the, in the Olympic performances. You can think of Usain Bolt a few years back. You know, he won the 100 meter dash by seven meters. And, and you, if you're watching that, you just kind of pinch yourself and think, what is it that I just saw? That was amazing. And it might be that Paul had this qualitative sense in mind that people would see the growth of the gospel and conclude that this wasn't just the result of some well-intentioned missionaries that were spreading some news or some uh, uh, some religious ideas and happened to have some success, but that the gospel was growing to such effect that it had to be the work of the Lord, that it had to be God's doing so that qualitative sense is sometimes what we can look forward to. We see this referred to in the book of Acts uh, a number of times. So in Acts chapter 12, verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Acts 13, 49, the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Acts nineteen twenty, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So the sense that the, the gospel message was just going out, it was overpowering force, was racing ahead to bless people. This wasn't just a, an experience for the early church. Um, despite what you may hear or not hear today, the gospel is still going out. I had the opportunity just a couple of years ago uh, in 2019 to visit some of the fields where Wildwood has uh, supported ministry. And uh, in this particular Middle Eastern country, I I met with a young man named Sohail. Sohail had grown up in Iran. He was a talented soccer player. Actually, he had been selected to be on the national youth team. Uh, Had Later on, uh, joined one of the top clubs, had played in televised matches. But like so many athletes, he blew out his knee and was sidelined. And actually, he went into depression. Well, a short time before that, Sohail's sister had come to the Lord. And as she talked with him, she prayed. His knee was healed. His knee was healed and he resumed playing soccer. And more importantly, Sohail himself became a believer. He became a believer and began testifying to all of his teammates and everyone else about his new faith in Jesus. Well, that lasted for a short time and then his club let him go. And what's more, other clubs in the country didn't want a Christian soccer player, as talented as he was, playing for them. So Sohail was unemployed and uh, he and his wife decided to move to a neighboring country. And when they got there, they discovered a small church, a Persian speaking church, and he got involved with ministry with the youth. But he thought soccer is in his past. But following the encouragement of his pastor, um, he, with a group of friends, decided that they would start a soccer club. And in this club, they would not just teach about soccer, but they could share their testimony. They could share Bible verses and Bible principles. So they thought in our city, maybe 30, 40 children of the other Iranian refugees and Afghani refugees. So that was at the beginning of 2019. I met Sohail in October that same year. And he told me that by the summer of that year, they had 700 kids enrolled in these clubs. They'd spread out to 10 different cities. And I've heard even since then that they're in 14 cities and they're seeing multiple kids trust in Christ along with their families. So here's some of the leaders uh, there with Sohail a team of us that that visited him. And these youth, uh, many times with their entire families, would also place their faith in Jesus and trust in him uh, through baptism. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that even in a place as unlikely as the Middle East, the gospel is racing forth and blessing many people. Paul, in this same verse, adds an interesting expression. He says that the word of the Lord would also be glorified, would be glorified. And that's curious because you probably think, well, it's God himself that is glorified, or Jesus Christ, but the word of the Lord being glorified. Well, it's maybe not quite as unusual if you think about how it is that we glorify the Lord, we glorify the word, Lord through our words. We say, you, know, you are the true God. You are the sovereign, the holy God. And the word of the Lord, by the same token, we can say this is the true word. These are dependable words. These are holy words. We glorify God through our values. We give thanks to God for his many attributes. We can give thanks to the word of the Lord and, and express that we think that it is very important, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And also through our actions, we glorify God by submitting to his will. And we can glorify the word of the Lord by submitting ourselves to it. So the idea of being glorified, the word of the Lord being glorified, leads me to think that it's not just that the gospel would be preached, but that the gospel would be obeyed. And this, this is something we need to be thinking about. Sometimes you'll we'll hear reports that, you know, such and such ministry, XYZ ministry, uh, preached the gospel to 200,000 people or 200 people or two people or whatever it is. And that's very good. Uh, we can praise the Lord for that. But we should ask the question, at least every once in a while, how many people actually understood that message? How many people considered it to be important? And how many people responded to the message. Now I know that the Holy Spirit is responsible for the response and we can't control, the Holy Spirit can move in ways in which we don't even understand. But there are times that we should ask ourselves, are we really cooperating with the Holy Spirit in the efforts that we, the way that we should to reach people with the gospel? I think that's a valid question. Um, I've got some friends uh, that I've gone out on the boat with a few times. I'm not a fisherman, don't claim to be. uh, But I've gone with them, and they say that they like to go fishing. But the funny thing is, I've been out with them a couple times, and I've yet to see them catch any fish. So, you know, my my joke is, uh, you guys don't like to go fishing. You guys like to go casting. And they laugh and think, okay, you don't know anything. Um, But it's true, you don't go casting uh, for a whole afternoon without the expectation of catching fish. And we shouldn't just promote the preaching of the gospel without the expectation of seeing results. We preach the gospel so that people will honor, glorify the word of the Lord, that they will submit to it. So Paul is praying that this would be the result, that the gospel would go forth rapidly and also that people would respond to it. on to verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians 3.2, he says, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. So Paul talks about the rescue which is necessary for the either the missionaries or the people that are proclaiming the gospel because they're in this hostile environment, uh, they need to be rescued from perverse and evil men. Those are two uh, vivid descriptions. You think of perverse, the wicked, improper people uh, that are there in the audience uh, that are reacting to this. Uh, And actually, the, the term perverse literally means out of place, And Paul probably was thinking uh, in city after city, he not only had people kicking him out, but people that would follow him down the road to make sure that in the next stop, he wouldn't be effective there either. They were going out of place to impede his ministry. I think Paul actually would have been very uh, familiar with what we call the cancel culture today. Uh, Don't just leave well enough alone. You got to make it hard for other people as well. So, Paul was promoting ministry and having these opponents uh, spring up, and he also describes them as evil. So, they were not, necessarily, they were not just trying to um, impede his efforts or to keep him quiet. When he talks about the evil behavior of these opponents, they were trying to destroy him. They, they were trying to make an example out of him and, and inhibit other people from following in his footsteps, They didn't want other people preaching the gospel either. And we know that as we proclaim the gospel, there will be these opponents, sometimes believers will suffer. Sometimes believers will even lose their lives. But just imagine how much worse it would be if we didn't pray. So Paul is asking for prayers that these messengers of the gospel message would be rescued, would be delivered, that they would be spared. From those intent on doing harm. So those are the prayers that Paul mentions here. As we think about how to apply it, I think that several things should be obvious. One is that we should lift up the priority of the gospel message itself. We should keep that in mind. And um, as we go throughout our day, remember that that is the key. That's the, the entryway into the Christian life. It's not just biblical knowledge, church attendance, or other things. It's the gospel first and foremost. Secondly, as we pray, we should pray for the, the outreach, the promotion of the gospel, the, the spread of the gospel. And that could be in nearby places that we're very familiar with, people that maybe have heard once or twice but have not really comprehended, they need to hear it again. And in our context, there's always a need for revival and for people to hear multiple times the word of God. But there are also places around the world uh, that despite the progress, the great progress that we've seen, still need to hear for the first time that there has never been somebody to name the name of Christ. There's no Christians in that subculture or that people group that is proclaiming the gospel. And we should pray that the gospel would spread and spread with the efficacy needed for people to actually trust in it, to trust in Jesus. And then third, we should pray for the messengers themselves, uh, that they would be spared the evil and the perverse intentions of these people that have no faith. You know, there are, talk about people without faith. Uh, whenever there's opposition, there are undoubtedly a lot of people that just act in ignorance. They're going along with the crowd and they just think, well, everybody needs to get opposed to this. It's because it just makes sense. And those people... Maybe it can be forgiven easier, but there are some, there will be some that have this this well-founded in their, their way of thinking, this thought that uh, it's a logical outpouring of their worldview to oppose Christian witness. So in the secular realm, you have some people that actually are acting in an evil way because they not only do not believe that God exists or that God is active in our world, they want to uh, keep the people that do have that belief quiet and to oppose them actively. So Paul is praying for deliverance from such. And certainly in the Islamic world, we hear stories periodically of people that well-intentioned, they they believe that they're serving Allah in opposing Christians and yet they have been mistaken in their presuppositions and in their, their outlook. And Paul is asking that believers, those that present the gospel would be protected from them. So whether your practice is to uh, separate some time each day and to pray uh, by yourself, think about including these two requests, uh, to pray for the spread of the gospel and the protection of missionaries. If you don't know a missionary by name, I'd be glad to suggest a few. We have many that we support as a church that are doing great work. If you're a parent and you have the, the habit of praying with your children before you put them to bed, um, remind them in your prayer of the importance of trusting in the gospel, both for their sake and for the sake of people around you and then for people around the world as well. And as you're praying for their protection, for the protection of the extended family, include prayer from time to time for the missionaries and people around the world that are also doing the Lord's work. And if you're in a small group, um, remind the leaders as they gather in a community group or Sunday school class or whatever it is uh, to pray for these two requests at the same time. Now, I, I understand we're not really in a small group this morning, but I do believe that we learn best by doing. So just before we wrap up, I'd like to pray right now and pray these two requests. So if you don't mind, we'll take just a couple minutes, but Pray with the person next to you, or if you want to pray by yourself, silently, that's fine too, but let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the word of the Lord, the gospel message which has reached us, and we pray that it would spread and spread rapidly throughout the world so that others may hear it in time. And Father, we pray for those who proclaim your word In our context and all others as well, in pioneer situations, we pray that they would be delivered, rescued from possible harm. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. We may never know the results of prayers such as this, but we can be assured that as we offer a prayer, especially a prayer from Scripture, that this is truly a prayer in Jesus' name and a prayer which will have a great chance of being, off, being answered favorably. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Mark had mentioned a man named Henry Martin. Um, Henry Martin was one of the earliest missionaries to Iran, and uh, as he went through his time of service there, he saw a total of one convert. He was followed a few decades later by a man named Robert Bruce. And Robert Bruce, after working in Iran for some time, he said, uh, I am not reaping the harvest. I scarcely claim to be sowing the seed. I'm hardly plowing the ground, but I am gathering out the stones. All to say that the, the work was very hard, very difficult. The results were meager. And it stayed that way in Iran for at least 100 years. Uh, the number of believers in that entire country, you could count on on both hands. So Iran was one of the least reached of the unreached countries of the world. But in 1967, a a young couple showed up, Dick and Shan Dreyer, and after they had arrived, they decided that the the most effective thing that they could do was to pray. Not that the others hadn't prayed before them, I'm sure that all of them had, but they dedicated eight hours a day During four months to prayer, prayer for revival in that country. And at the end of that period, they began to see some increased fruit in their own ministry. The interesting thing is, just a few more years later, uh, Islamic fundamentalists took charge in that country. The leader was deposed, uh, ministries were shut down, missionaries were expelled, and many national believers were either imprisoned or horribly mistreated. But the fascinating thing was that the believers which remained had greater boldness to proclaim the gospel. And as they proclaimed, their small numbers began to increase and multiply. And soon there were thousands of believers. And today, if we look at the country of Iran, uh, those who study such matters say that it's the fastest growing church in the world. And the thousands have become hundreds of thousands of former Shiite Muslims that have become believers and followers of Jesus Christ, people like Sohail. So we can praise God that the gospel is going forth, is racing ahead in contexts like this, as improbable as they may be, but all for the glory of God, his word is being honored. May God use us to promote your kingdom, and your glory among all nations, Father. That your will would be followed and your word honored. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.